Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, I'm Tom Kerridge from the BBC Good Food podcast, where each week we chat about seasonal ingredients, smart cooking techniques and easy recipes to make at home that are totally lush. The BBC Good Food podcast is sponsored by Victorinox. Known for the iconic Swiss army knife, Victorinox began as a cutler's workshop in the heart of Switzerland. Crafted from European walnut wood and completely Swiss made, the Swiss Modern Knife Collection has all the key tools to prepare your seasonal meals and is perfect for both professional and amateur chefs. Claim a 20% discount on orders £100 or above on victorinox.com using the code TKPOD20. Terms and conditions from the website apply. Subscribe now to enjoy the BBC Good Food podcast with me, Tom Kerridge, every week on your favourite podcast app. UK Black Pride is Europe's largest celebration for LGBTQ people of African, Asian, Caribbean, Latin American, and Middle Eastern descent. And our annual celebration of our cultures, lives, and lived experiences is on Sunday, the 7th of July, at our new home in Hagerston Park. LGBTQ people of color have long played a defining role in this liberation movement. And UK Black Pride is a day for us to celebrate and acknowledge the tremendous contributions our people have made to not only LGBTQ life here in the UK, but around the world. UK Black Pride is a protest, a celebration, and a movement, and we are so excited to share this day with you all. We'll see you at UK Black Pride 2019 from 12pm on Sunday the 7th of July at our new home in Hagerston Park. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. These are conversations at our intersections and an opportunity for us to hear firsthand from others in our community how they have learned and are learning to thrive. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so lets others like us hear the voices amplified here. Today, I'm in conversation with Phil Apokujima, the co-founder and executive director of UK Black Pride. She's well known as Lady Phil and for turning down an MBE from the Queen because of this country's colonial legacy. There is a lot I could say about Lady Phil, about her generosity of spirit, her warmth, and her strength, or how, at one of the lowest moments of my life, she reached out, literally held me, and has nursed me back to life. She is a mother, an activist, a lover, a mentor, and an icon to many, and so perhaps it's best to let her speak for herself. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm busy being black with Lady Phil.
Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you. This is really exciting. <laughs> you know, I think just the the title alone, Busy Being Black, it's just awesome. Every time I hear you say Busy Being Black, I am filled with so much joy. Well, you started this, Busy Being Black. I think that you gave us a way to just shape it. You know, our everyday lives are getting on the bus, getting on the tube, in the car, in the taxi. We're just busy being black all the time. And, you know, how do we frame it? We're busy, but we're black. Yeah. Yeah. And I get. I hope it speaks to this overlapping and intersecting experiences of all of us, right? I keep, I'm thinking about this idea of how in reclaiming my blackness, I'm expanding what blackness means, if that makes sense. Don't you think that it might mean something different to so many people? Because, you know, whilst we might use the term politically black and that may be constructive for some, um, for others, they might think it's problematic. Mm. So reclaiming their blackness, Mm. I love that. But for others, because we are talking about intersectionality, because it's about how one self-identifies, maybe it's a question that you might want to put out there Mm. and ask people, what does that mean to them? What does reclaiming your blackness? Mm. I think I'm just always living in my blackness because Mm. it might change tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. So am I reclaiming it or am I living it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I've had to reclaim it because I think growing up, I wasn't black enough, according to the kids. You know, I was an uppity nigger. Mm-hmm. And so I never felt accepted by black people, as it were, even within my family. You know, people who thought that my dad should have married a black woman, for example. And so, you know, I've never felt like I had any claim to blackness. But as I wrote um, in AZ Mag, mm. like, my title to blackness has actually been paid for by the blood of my ancestors, right? We are Speak. of the soil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you, you find that with most dual heritage, mixed parentage children, you know, they go through a journey of actually one of my parents may be white and the other one's black. And what does that mean for me? I think I can relate to you somewhat, not in terms of a white or black parent, but growing up, my parents actually shipped us out to Hertfordshire because they wanted us to go to a good school. They wanted us to be well-versed and well-spoken. You know, I grew up on this wonderful council estate, which I absolutely love, but they wanted to take it to the next level because of where they've come from and what they want for their children. So going to this school, an all-white school, for probably four years, it wasn't until I got into the fifth year, that we happened to have two black people that attended. It was, um, yeah, it was one of those things. I, I spoke a particular way, and I don't call it, I spoke like a white person. I just mm-hmm. spoke a particular way. I acted in ways that maybe not everyone would understand or so when I came back into London and started you know hanging around with some of my friends on Broadwater Farm that's in Tottenham or in Hackney uh, Dalston I was told that I was a coconut, Mm. I was a bounty, (laughs) that I thought I was white and why am I speaking like a white girl Mm. 
And I thought, I'm not speaking like a white girl because I'm black. But it's all those comments that make you start questioning yourself. So maybe that's where the reclaiming your blackness. I went so far as to, you know, had the map of Africa badge firmly rooted on my chest and you know having my hair red gold and green and trying to look like salt and pepper trying to fit in using the latest slang words it always seemed awkward but you know you're just who you are do you ever feel like you ever did fit in like you ever managed to fit in i i don't know i think some people accept who you are and that's where you start to form friendships um we're always looking for a place to belong right Mm. so whoever was around me at that time clearly i must have fitted in somewhere otherwise i wouldn't have been there but to others who i was searching for their sort of acceptance no i didn't fit in um But I'm quite clear that I don't want to fit in. I want to be me and I want to be my best self. And you find that if you try so hard to fit into other people's ideals of what you should be like, you will start (laughs) to put yourself in this really dark soul destroying place Mm. because you can never be what people want you to be. That's such a truth. Mm. What would you say to people who know that on some level but are having a really hard time forging their own path outside of everyone else's expectations that's a hard one you know Josh because this is about understanding yourself and that's a journey that you go on and it doesn't come overnight you know you can only provide people with information you can only tell them about your own journey you can only show them positive people that have lived through a particular life and they then have to make their own decisions Mm -hmm. because that's the whole point of we are human beings that we're not all the same and we don't all want to be the same so trying to tell somebody how to act or how to be so that they're living them their best self, they have to figure that out for themselves. Because mm, you've encountered a lot of opposition, a lot of resistance. Mm, yeah. I mean, if we think about the genesis of UK Black Pride and it's kind of <laughs> the resistance from within the LGBTQ community to... Mm to UK Black Pride why don't, why don't you just join the normal Pride mm-hmm. you know. but some of you know that resistance I think was there before I came along so before UK Black Pride even started I would look to women like Linda Bellos like Femi Otterju like Monica Beadle Blair like Valerie Mason John Veronica McKenzie who had been around before I was there and they made it very clear that actually anything you go to set up you're going to find resistance in it because our black beings are not valued they don't want to recognize it they don't 
want to put us on that same platform or pedestal that a white gay man would have. Um, so knowing what I know now and seeing how UK Black Pride has grown, the resistance has been part of the journey. Mm. The resistance has been part of how we organise, how we mobilise, how we educate, how we agitate. And that is what makes you busy being black, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's been hard. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Gosh, there has been tears. There has been blood, sweats, you know. There has been fallings out. There, you know, there has been so much that, some which is unspoken there's been we've seen people pass away without being able to see the full benefits of how great UK Black Pride has grown to you know and there has been and I'm not throwing shade here but there has been even within our community or communities people who have been so negative towards the growth and movement of UK Black Pride. Mm. And maybe in their eyes, rightfully so, because they may not feel that they've been consulted, they may not feel that they've had enough dialogue into it, they may not feel part of it. But for me, isn't that a growing and a learning experience mm. that we as UK Black Pride can't change something and make it right for you unless you talk to us. We are already going through so, so much just in terms of our own daily lives that when looking to a movement to really amplify the voices of black people, BAME people, people of colour who are LGBTQ+, we need to hear everybody. So it's going to be, you know, sometimes baby steps, especially when we don't have the resource and infrastructure like maybe another pride does mm. you know we fight for funding we fight for resources so it means we're not always going to get it right or maybe it's not get it right we're not always going to be able to do it at the time mm. we need to do it because we don't have that sort of access mm. i think of the double standards mm -hmm. right and and that sometimes Certainly outside of the community, black community, but w certainly within it as well, people don't realize the the work that goes into organizing the event. I mean, the work that the UK Black Pride team is doing behind the scenes, like literally every hour God sends. Absolutely. And, and that it is supported by this desire to do it properly, this desire to do it against um, the odds <laughs> to, mm -hmm, to do it mm -hmm. with a fraction of the funding that other pride organizations get. Um, yeah. What would you yeah. say to, to people outside of UK Black Pride who expect so much of it? What would I say to those people that don't see yeah, what, what goes yeah, what on What do you want people scenes? to... I guess a better question is what do you want people, the black community, to take away from UK Black Pride? that it's theirs. I want people to know that it really is theirs just because it may be headed up by a group of people that are working, as you said, all the hours God sends. I want them to know that actually it's their UK Black Pride. They can get involved. They can shape what it looks like, what it feels like. 
so that they feel that their every being is part of the fabric of UK Black Pride and not just, oh, we better turn up, mm. you know, because we're black LGBT people. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's theirs because no one person owns UK Black Pride. It's owned by our community. Mm. And that's what makes UK Black Pride so strong. That's why we've been going for 13 years. That's exactly why, you know, people have put in their own money to make sure this happens. That's why so many different people with so many different experiences, whether it's around social media, whether it's around planning and events, health and safety, whether it's around media, whether it's around community engagement and building and organising whether it's around trade unions or volunteer management they own that let's talk about our relationship our coming together (laughs) (laughs) and we connected at one of the lowest points of my life and so I'd love to know why you reacted to me the way you did why did you take me in why did you shower me with so much love Right. Well, you know I'm an emotional soul, so I've got my radio face on at the moment. Um, You know, Josh, our community or communities goes through so much. And when you see another person who is you being attacked being pulled down, being torn down, you can only but support or reach out. Now I've been taught that whilst in all of my activities or activism or whatever you may want to call it, you don't want to see somebody fall down and crumble. And maybe my mother instinct kicked in that, you know, just going back to the prayer about footprints, you know, when somebody's feeling weak or vulnerable, that you only see those two sets of footprints because you're carrying them. Mm. People before me have carried me and before that have carried them and before that. So I needed to reach out to you. You're a black gay or black queer man and it would be wrong of me to turn a blind eye it would be wrong of me to ignore the pain that you may be going through now I'm not excusing Mm. what you said or did I wasn't there when you said or did what you said but what I do know is that you are standing alone with so many arrows being thrown at you and we're black we're black people that have gone through so much and I wanted to look at how do I help shield you from all of these attacks or at least support or let you know that somebody else is out there and it wasn't coming from a place that UK Black Pride is saying this it was from me Mm. I just I hated hearing, reading and seeing 
all of what was out there towards you. I didn't even know you that well, but what I did know is that you're, you could be me, you could be my son, you could be my brother, you could be my uncle, you know, you could be any number of people that are in my life. But how, how do I just ignore? Hmm. And I would hope that if I, if I did something that wasn't entirely right or correct and was being attacked largely by white people, I'm not even giving them any other characteristic but white people, that I would want my community to come and tell me what you did was wrong, but don't worry, I'm here for you. Mm. Isolation, darkness, loneliness, are all the things that trigger off bad and poor mental health. I've seen too many black people, black men, not just incarcerated, but put into mental institutions. And that is a combination of everything that's happening in their life or how they navigate through things. And I didn't want you to be a statistic. Mm. I was so proud of this black man who's queer, that's the first black editor of a, of Gay Times, that I was, it was joyful. So knowing what had happened, you know, rise to fame and then a massive crash. There was nobody there to pick you up and hold you. And we as black people, and as an African woman, I understand what the village does, what the elders do. We pick people up and we nurse them back to health. And I'm sure when our ancestors were on that boat, and I may be getting a bit too deep, but I'm sure when our ancestors were on that boat, shackled up and we were in pain, there was people slowly whispering sweet nothings or lullabies into their ear just to mm. keep them strong. Those Negro spirituals Absolutely. were born on those ships. So whatever entered in me to make sure that I reached out to you, it's probably due to my ancestors. Mm. I know I say thank you probably once a week at least. You don't have to. <laughs> but it really means the world. I mean, that was um, one of the lowest moments of my life. And your support, just I can't get over it. I can't get over the love that you showered over me. I'm, I feel like you've brought me back to life and I feel like I will forever be so grateful to you for how you've treated me. And you don't have to because I think that maybe we both helped each other. Mm. <laughs> you know, gosh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, let's not be sorry. We knew that this would be, uh, this would feel really emotive for us and I want you to know that I don't want you to say thank you because I think it's, not I think, I believe and I know it's part and parcel of my purpose and why I'm here. Not just to help myself and help is uh, silly words right now, but to reach out mm. because it's about that growth. You know, I always use that saying to you that we don't inherit this land from our parents 
we borrow it from the next generation. Mm. And you're a lot younger than me, so why would I not do something to reach out and help elevate you when you may be feeling slightly vulnerable? Well, I think yeah. now's a good time to show you Gosh. your Gay Times cover. <laughs> this is, oh, what's the words my daughter would use? It's lit. <laughs> that was said really badly, right? <laughs> Oh I've just God. given Phil her copy of Gay Times, where she is the cover star. Oh my gosh. What I'm does it mean for you to see yourself on the cover of Gay Times? God, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> is that... It, you know, wow, okay. Not often speechless, but I see my mother, my father, my family, my daughter, our community, I see UK Black Pride, I see the trade unions, I see my grandmother, I see everything rolled up in that picture. I see so much and it's, um, it's powerful. When I saw the photo, when the team at Gay Time sent it to me. I just, I was laughing hysterically. I just couldn't stop beaming from ear to ear because I think it's you, it's obviously you, it's Lady Phil. But I thought of all of the black women who have been mm. passed over, who have been ignored, who have been silenced, who have been forgotten, who have been disregarded and disrespected. I, and to see it, it's just, it feels poetic, it feels, it feels momentous. I think you've touched on it, it's black women. Mm. We're so ignored and erased and silenced that for me, this cover speaks volumes and it's so, so loud that it's absolutely impossible to ignore mm. I think we've done that as men as well as, as black men as, and I think that we for I think that we as gay or queer black men forget that we are men in the world and that the world has been designed for our success ostensibly right e even though we're, we're black and, and that comes with its barriers and so absolutely we, we live in a patriarchal society you know the way things are constructed that, yeah, even our black brothers have often marginalised, sidelined black women. And maybe because they're going through their own journey of whether it's reclaiming their blackness or trying to find their place and space in society, that the black woman is often left behind mm or not spoken of. But yeah, I we're gonna have to put this cover away. I mean, <laughs> is it is it wrong, Josh, to be be so proud of seeing something and being able just to shout from the rooftops, I know that I am beep beep brilliant. And if I say that, people then will think 
who does she think she is? She's got mm. such a big head. And, you know, she's such a show off. And, oh, she doesn't speak for me. I don't want to speak for anybody, but I want to be so proud in the skin that I'm in and ooze and project every bit of confidence that I have acquired. Mm. Is it wrong to do that? No. And why do we find in our communities that when we talk about ourselves, people then say you have an ego? I think there is protest and there is rebellion in being proud of ourselves, I think. And you embody that for me. Um, and I think for many people, and I, I feel pretty confident I can say that on behalf of a lot of people. <laughs> um, and so, no, you know, if we were white men, if you were a white man, you're, you would be taught to be proud of yourself, that your voice is welcome, that your opinion is wanted mm-hmm. in every place and platform. And it's, well, it's not, <laughs> if you're a white man, but as, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in front of someone who I consider to be one of my blueprints one of my black blueprints and so you should be proud I think because what you do what you have done what you continue to do for so many of us and a great personal sacrifice I think I know you probably would never talk about it or admit it but I think what you put yourself in front of you're a very real human shield for a lot of the shit that comes at the black community. And so you being on this cover of Gay Times, you being on the cover of any magazine really, is so powerful because of what it takes to get to the cover of a magazine for black women, but also what happens when you're there and what happens when you're in the public eye. Wow, okay. Yeah. I just need that moment just to... Take it. Yeah. Gosh, is this me being busy being black with tears? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make you cry, by the way. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This is like... Oh, I'm glad this is not a video because (laughs) I am a hot mess at the moment. Yeah. You said to me once that who is the person behind Phil, who's the person behind Lady Phil, the not so rehearsed Phil Mm. it's really I'm a mother, I'm a I'm a black woman I'm a worker I'm a do I claim the word activist, am I am I an activist. I'm, I'm a human being. I'm, I'm a lover. I'm a, yeah. I'm just a person. So, well, when I said well rehearsed, I meant, you know, you, we, have our public battle faces. Mm. We have our public armor, and, and which often doesn't look like armor. Right, it looks like humor. It looks like softness. Um, or for the black woman, it looks like we're aggressive. Yes. So and hard. Mm, 
And so there are these um, public edifices, right, that mm-hmm. shield and protect the person underneath. And so when I said well rehearsed, I meant behind that, behind the protective outer layer that allows you to continue doing the work that you do. Because I imagine that you've been wounded. You've, yeah, I mean, you've articulated it so well. And we do have to put up, what do we call them, barriers? Do we call them, you know, our body armor? Because being hurt, hurts, doesn't it? Mm. You know, nobody wants to feel vulnerable and exposed. Nobody wants to just bear their whole self and be whipped and put out on show for everybody to see in, you know, the emperor's new clothes sort of thing. Mm. But at the same time, you you know, when you've shown vulnerability and you feel that someone's abused that, mm. the body armor gets tighter. Mm. So you've got your body armor. You've got the fill that the world sees, which is a fill of many dimensions and is multi-layered. I certainly don't think that you're one-dimensional in the public space. What helps the fill behind the armor relax and find yourself? (laughs) Well, I'm not going to tell you everything that helps me relax (laughs) because there are some things that are sacred and private Mm -hmm. Um, hearing my daughter sing. Curious. Mm, yeah. My uh, beautiful, amazing mini-me. She has got the voice of an angel. And, you know, I recall a time when we were living in this one room because, you know, things were hard. That's part of the journey. And she always used to sing to me and you know she loves Etta James all the old classics and her voice would soothe me even when I knew that I only had like £5.50 in my purse to last me two weeks and I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet my daughter is probably the person that makes me relax but also stresses me out when she doesn't come home (laughs) late at night yeah I have a wonderful partner as well and these are I get it these are the things that I don't talk about because there are some things I do like to keep private Mm. because when you let too many people in or maybe in my head if I let too many people in they're going to come use and abuse or sort of let me down because Mm. loyalty and trust and honesty are ingredients for great friendships and relationships. So yeah, my daughter, my partner, I love hearing my mum talk about, you know, her growing up in Ghana because she came from a little fishing village I love hearing my dad tell me about his great-grandma who was a, um, they might call it witch doctor, but she was a herbalist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I love my siblings. They, 
my older brother, who has sickle cell, um, was told he wasn't going to live till past 24, who's now 50, um, has one blue eye, glass eye, you know, is deaf, partially deaf. He is so hilariously funny. And even in a crisis that he's having will still make you laugh. So I'll call him up when things seem hard or tough and he'll make light of the situation and say, well, at least you can see out of both eyes. (laughs) You know, (laughs) brings me back to reality that it's not (laughs) as bad as you thought it was. Over the last... I would say 15 years. I'm not sure if I've properly relaxed because my mind, body and soul has just been used as a as a vessel to pummel its way through society to claim what we need for our community. It sort of goes back to your point of that body armour and the sacrifices that we make and, you know, looking back on failed relationships that you recognise that when you give yourself to the community or communities that you will have to sacrifice something. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know, I've answered that in a really roundabout, long-winded way. but Answered it perfectly. Yeah, gosh, Josh, I didn't want to be busy being black and emotional on <laughs> on on your podcast, but yeah, I guess this is all part of the journey. I'll look back at this interview or listen to it and think, "Oh my gosh, girl, you're such a crybaby." <laughs> Oh, you're only talking about your journey. We've all had one. Get a grip. Okay, let me look back at the Gay Times front cover and get back in my flow. Well, it's the... I love the emotion, actually, because I think, you know, the sister anthology that you helped edit, um, and you curated these voices from these women-loving women from across the diasporas to speak on love and intimacy and sex and identity and belonging and you know i was reading through it and what struck me was that as as i wrote for the for the blog um these aren't black pride blog the uk black pride blog yeah these aren't stories of um solely of um sadness or of rejection or of racism or of transphobia but they're about reclaiming our tenderness. We did that. Black women did that. Mm. And they were humble, honest, open, spoke their truth. They wanted to be heard. They wanted a therapeutic way of telling their story. And it was not just about pain and suffering it was about beauty mm. and love and how glorious and magnificent oh just oh look I'm getting shivers <laughs> and just how amazing that they are mm. you know when you read Shadeen Taylor Stone's piece oh, it just will blow you away 
Then there's Kaiser Rose, BB. There's oh, there's so many, so much in that, book. and it's powerful. Casenia mm, Boom's um, oh yes essay blew me out of the water. I was so struck about the bare honesty of that of that internal dialogue about what it means for black people to date white people and what is sacrificed in that space. She, I mean, she triggered me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. damn, I've always been chasing after Massa. <laughs> Maybe I should have put a trigger on it. You a know. little trigger warning, yeah. yeah. I should say with the sister anthology, you know, it <clears throat> was the part two, it was the sister version of um, Black and Gay um, put on by Team Angelica, Ricky Beadle Blair and John Gordon Russell. And I was just so grateful for the fact that they said, okay, shall we do this? Let's make this happen. And it did. Sometimes you have to speak what you want out there to the universe mm. and keep on speaking it out so that it happens. You gotta speak it and do it. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you do that. We all do that, you know. Sometimes I use other people's voices because of what they've told me not just in privacy but because they're not ready to speak it out and that's what I mean by being used as this vehicle this vessel I'm told so much I'm asked to do so much because maybe my sister or my brother or my sibling is not ready to speak it out mm. yet for themselves because they're not in that space so by taking action on their words it means they get to see themselves and feel themselves whether it's in UK Black Pride whether it's in the trade union whether it's in the book whether it's you know in any number of situations when did you realize that you could be a convener of voices I've never realized that not the way you've just said it um <laughs> Wow, that's a question. I I don't think I've ever been asked that before. I I'm thrown <laughs> because I I don't ever see myself on having a monopoly on anything to be able to do something, but I like to believe I'm open and honest and as transparent as I can be that people can come to me with their woes, their problems, their successes, their achievements, what they want to celebrate, and we can sit down and whether we break bread or drink wine or have a glass of water and think about, well, how do we amplify this? Some people have said, oh, I don't know if I'm ready, to, I don't want to tell that story. Well, we can find a different way of telling it. Mm. I ha, am I a convener of voices? I like that term. I think you are. I think if you look at the team you've assembled at UK Black Pride, I think of the sister anthology. I think of the people that you bring together and the spaces that you create, or that you certainly help create. Um, that allow people's voices to rise. 
You are a convener. You bring people together. You bring us to the table. A community I mean, you effectively built a table. (laughs) Well, I think when you haven't, when you've historically not seen yourself around that table, people say, you know, you've got to make space and we've got to have this person, that person around the table when you still can't get around that table. And I'm talking like in those boardrooms. Yeah, you build your own damn table, don't you? Mm-hmm. And you seat the people that need to be seated around that table. Speak. You open up and you extend the table so more people can get around that. And that's what we've done with UK Black Pride. And I, I use the term we because I go back to that point of not wanting to be seen as somebody who's I, I, I. And maybe it's having to unlearn that, that actually what do you take credit for or what do you celebrate in what you've done? But yeah, we've built a big table that's still growing and that will continue to grow long after I'm, I'm gone. I think it's both and, and I think that you do that. So I, I know I, uh, you you say that you don't want to be the voice of UK Black Pride, and you don't want to have a monopoly, and I don't think that you do. And I, I think not. that you do both. I think that you represent, you are representative of hopes and dreams, but also of battles won and battles lost and mm-hmm. battles we're still fighting. And I think you also, as part of that process create space, you build a bigger table, you bring people along with you, you nurture people back to life, you give opportunities, you know, and I think people, for me, when I look at you, and when I interact with you, and when I'm sharing air with you, and love with you, I'm just so struck that, like, this is how it's done, (laughs) right? And that people, if people watch, if they listen, that they'll see how it's done because you've been doing it. Yes. I thank my grandma for that. My grandma was a community builder and that's how she saw herself within the Methodist church. She, She was the woman who said, we are going to raise the money find the bricks, the water, the cement, and build a church in the village that she came from. And she rallied many people together from people that understood numbers and the money and how to add it up, from builders and workers and, you know, just so many people. And she rallied them all together, mobilised, organised and continued to do that right up until she was 95. And when she had her second stroke, she was still organising and telling people that, not telling, asking and working with people and saying when she's gone you need to make sure this church is still standing that you maintain it that you clean it that you put new bricks around it that you repaint it when it looks dull and the shine's not there 
I like to think that my grandma lives within me. I love what she has... God, I've not really spoken about my grandma, but I love who she was. And even who she is today, because I think... I believe she still lives on. You know, when, when you've got something and you see something so positive or you foresee what something can look like and you speak it out into existence and you make it happen it's not just the making it happen that it ends there it's about the maintenance it's about the caring and the nurturing it's about the love that you invest into it it's about bringing people around to help understand what it all means and how they look after it when you're not around mm. and UK Black Pride is just that so if I'm a convener of voices or a community builder then I've just done part of the work and that's why our amazing team at UK Black Pride are continuing and building on the work already done mm. and those that will come after them and after them will continue to build it as long as it's filled with love, unity, solidarity, passion, togetherness, celebration, success. It will have challenges but when we work together, we find ways to overcome those challenges mm -hmm. that can only make what is there stronger and better and stable, making it absolutely impossible for it to be knocked down. And that's what I'd like to see for UK Black Pride. So all of that resistance and that bullshit where people from... And you notice, Joshua, I stop myself because when I stop myself, it means that I don't want to disrespect those that have disrespected us in the today Ooh, and the yesterday yeah. and the day before because that makes me just as bad as them. But all of that BS and that hurt and that pain and blood, sweat and tears and... the infighting amongst ourselves we have to look at how we learn from it and how we grow from it and what we want to see for that better tomorrow mm. otherwise we have nothing one of the things i've noticed working both within the lgbtq community but also in uk black pride and i, I keep trying to talk about it but i'm not really sure how is space mm. You know, Reverend Angel Kyoto said, love is, and I'm paraphrasing, but love is creating space within ourselves to allow other people to be themselves in their fullness. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And that lack of space, I think we feel as queer black people in the LGBTQ community, and my experience working within mostly white organizations have shown has shown me that there is a real lack of awareness around intersectionality, around mm. space, around layers, around depth, nuance, complexity. Absolutely. 
But then coming to UK Black Pride and working within this organization where it seems everyone is trying to create space, both a physical space, but also a metaphorical space. like a spiritual space. A spiritual yeah. space. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see that, you know, in the openness that I think that you've managed to cultivate, um, you know, just even between you and I, because that's really the only openness I can speak to. But, you know, when I was going through a very hard time, you know, with my addiction, and you were so patient, and you stayed on the phone with me for so long, and you gave me space, not only in your life, but in my own head to think about who I wanted to be and what it is I wanted to achieve, and to let me know that I had purpose, that I have purpose, that I have value. Absolutely. And you do. But that's not something for me to say, oh, yes, I did that. That's something for me to say, well, you did what felt and what seems to be right. Because when we love in our community, we have to give people space, time, and try and understand, well, where is this pain coming from? How do we support if they want us to support but the greatest thing that someone can do when someone's going through addiction or when they're going through troubled times or challenging times is to listen mm. and we don't we feel as black people we don't have that time because we're always busy being black mm. that we're on to the next thing or we're fighting what's you know, the racism and the sexism that may have just been thrown at us on the bus or in our workplaces. So when we come to speaking with each other, we don't have time to actually get to know each other. Mm. But that's not always something we can do something about because of society and what it throws at us. I remember that day. Mm. I was sat in the car. That's right. And... We were on the phone and patience is something that I've learnt to acquire mm. because I've been in the past far too rushed to be dismissive of something. I didn't want to come off the phone to you, not because I thought you would hurt yourself or anything, but because I know that you needed me. And when I've needed somebody in the past, they've also spent that time listening to my ramble, my, you know, me being incoherent about what it was that I wanted or needed. And that gave me that space to try and unpick where I'm at. So why would I not want to do that for somebody else? Would you do anything differently looking back on your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that woman I went out with. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think that... No, no, I don't think. I believe that everything that has happened to me in my life is meant to happen. Mm. Because it's shaped who I am today. And if I was to change any of that, I would be a 
different mother. Yeah, who would you be? I'd be a different activist. I'd be a different trade unionist. I'd be different. And I like who I am. In fact, I don't just like, I absolutely love who I am. And I've not always got things right. And I will continue to get things wrong. But that's meant to happen. So no, I, I wouldn't change a single thing even when I've not been great, a great partner or a great mother or a great daughter or a great friend, I wouldn't change any of that because that's my benchmark for what not to do. Mm. That's beautiful. Where is Josh Rivers at right now in his life? It's big, right? (laughs) That's big. And I ask you that question because you've invited me to be on this amazing podcast and I'm so excited to be here. This is about amplification of black LGBTQ plus voices. Whatever gave you that foresight, that drive to do this... Where are you at right now in your life? And yes, your love life. I want to know about that. (laughs) It's not just about you asking me questions. Mm. Mentally and spiritually, where are you at? I think at the moment, I feel anything is possible. But I'm also terrified of possibility. And it's a contradiction or a paradox or what have you that I'm trying to be more comfortable with, but that I find very difficult because I'm a perfectionist and I've been singing and dancing for my supper, which is attention in my entire life. And trying to unpick or unlearn the bad things I've learned growing up, the way I've grown up, um, is hard. One of the things that's helping is busy being black. Mm. It's you, for for sure. I thought the other day I might get your name tattooed on me somewhere. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've got Bayard and James, so I thought, why not add Phil to that? Um, yeah, I feel vulnerable. I feel very um, sensitive. Yeah. So if I can interject there, so you've used words like terrified, vulnerable, sensitive, it's not wrong to be vulnerable. In fact, sometimes that's where your best work comes from, Mm. when you are vulnerable, when you put it all out on the table, and that way you can look at, oh my gosh, is that where I'm at right now? Or where do I move things to? But terrified, you don't you want to unpick that bit? What do you mean by, what is it you're terrified of? Letting people down again. I don't want to um, 
want to let people down. I don't want um, people to feel um, my purpose in life is to serve. It's to it's to serve the queer community, particularly the queer community of color. I feel so certain about that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm terrified that I will fuck it up again, that I will say something or I won't be respectful to someone or I'll... And the thing about the terror is that it's made the perfectionist in me louder than he's ever been. I'm questioning everything I do, everything I say, and and that can be good. But sometimes it stifles me a great deal because sometimes I don't speak when I know I should. Mm-hmm. I don't say something when I know I should say something. And, you know, I send you videos all the time, things yeah. that I want to say but that I won't say. You know, I, I can't tell you what to do in those situations, but, you know, Audrey Lord says your silence will not protect you. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that sometimes we stifle ourselves to the point that we're so strangled and so pent up that when something actually needs to come out it manifests itself in a way that may not be healthy or may not be right now you're doing some amazing amazing work and you have to be open and you have to be honest Yes, you have to be respectful at the same Mm, time. mm. But you're saying you don't want to F it up. Yeah, because I think there's anger. Well, you know. I think there's anger. And I think both as a black man, but as someone who was was so vocal about his anger in the past, Mm. I'm now hyper-conscious of what I do with that anger. And because I don't know how to dispel it <laughs> because I don't know how to get rid of it I, I sometimes do, feel it's though, festering Josh. when I watch your videos when I l- hear you when we're on the phone late at night when you're letting it out or saying what you need to say you are a brilliant writer and when you put pen to paper and write that down That's another way of being able to channel it. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being angry. When I'm seen as this angry, aggressive black woman, you are damn right. I have got every right to be angry. Mm. And there's nothing wrong in that. It depends on how or who you are directing your anger to. That's right. You know, I think I'm angry with myself. I think I'm, yeah... I think that's where it is, right? And I think it's very easy to direct that anger at other people. Absolutely. And so I'm trying to figure out how to process that anger with myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I sent you that piece I wrote about my dad. Yeah. Which I, <laughs> which I feel like I bled out. Um, and there's anger there. There's anger with my mom. Mm-hmm. There are things that have to be spoken about and I know theoretically that I have to process these things. Like I have to, if I'm going to be of service to other people. We spoke about space. Mm. Well, give yourself that space to be able to process it. Give yourself that time 
to be able to process it. And also at the same time, be gentle with yourself. Mm. I have a list of things that that I jot down, whether it's mentally or I write it down in my phone that, crap, I could have handled that differently. Really? I find a way of knowing when it arrives again how I need to deal with that situation. I'm not perfect by far. And I say things that really wind people up or I say it in a way that that person didn't want to hear it. I can't do anything about what has happened before. I can only look at how I go forward in the now Mm. and what I do for the future. Because if I spent time beating myself up about how I didn't do that quite so right with my daughter, then I would never be able to move forward and give her the best me. You asked me, would I change anything? No, I wouldn't. And that means that I have to look at how I go forward as a human being and be my absolute best self and keep on learning. Every day is a learning curve. And yes, you will get angry. Yes, you will be sad. And also, yes, we will cry (laughs) and we will hurt. And you have to let that out. I'm not saying whilst we're having a UK Black Pride meeting (laughs) that you just sit there and pull your eyes out. (laughs) But we need that space. We also need to, you know, there's, there's something we don't talk about enough. And that is about our post-traumatic stress. We are people that are constantly needing to look at how we heal. How did the people before us heal and those before us and those before us? How did our ancestors heal? Did they heal? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the question. Did they heal? And is it things that's just been passed down to us? Things that we inherit? Mm Mm-hmm that makes us the way we are. Mm. So our lives are about trying to find different ways of navigating around particular situations. And I think the work, well, I can speak for myself, my life's purpose is guided by hurt. I think it's guided by, uh, but also love, right? Because one of the things, I was having a conversation with a guy called John Huggett in 2015, which is kind of when Joshua was 2.0 first started (laughs) taking shape and it was the first time that I had any inclination that I wanted to be of service in a more meaningful way right and he has spent a career as an activist and working in the third sector and he said find your rage Mm -hmm. find what makes you so angry and I thought of little brown boys like me Mm -hmm. who had been sexually assaulted and who had gone out into the world without a clue about what to expect. Who, little brown boys who are so ill-prepared. And I thought, that's it. I've got to try and make it better for other little brown boys so that I I can never prevent what happened to me. Right, I can't control that. But maybe if 
I create something, if I build something, if I mm-hmm. if I show myself, if I show my own pain, but also show my own love mm-hmm. and my pursuit of joy and happiness, then maybe that'll help someone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Now I've got goose pimples because that's that's that truth and that speaking out about your experiences that you may not think it's helping anybody or you may think it's just about your healing but you don't know what it's doing for that little brown boy down the road Mm -hmm. who feels that they are living this by themselves that they're the only ones that have been through this experience or they don't know who to turn to you know we don't have enough positive representation not representation but positive Mm. representation of who we are as people that can talk about the things which haven't been so great but as you said the truth and the pursuits to happiness and joy until we have more podcasts like Busy Being Black, until we have more activities in UK Black Pride, until we have more sister anthology books, until we have more books around being black and gay in the UK, until we have any number of things, we're not going to see ourselves Mm -hmm. in everything. Until we have more covers like The Gay Times, it, it means we don't see ourselves. So yeah, keep on speaking and saying what you need to, but phrase that word about hurt. Is it pain? And if it is pain, where is that pain coming from? Yeah, how how we heal is that. But you know, someone said something to me the other day that was really unexpected. And I didn't, which, but it's also very obvious. <laughs> You're already on the journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, of course I am. Absolutely. You know, this, I get so frustrated with myself. I mean, you know it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I get so frustrated with myself. Why am I up at four o'clock in the morning? Why won't my brain shut off? Why am I thinking about this? Why can't I just shut up? Why am I not where I need to be? Am I as busy as someone else? Am I doing enough? Could I be doing more? Am I but letting other people where down? You need to be. Right, by virtue I, of being on the bloody journey. Come on, speak <laughs> so it. So trying to remind myself that this is part of it, right? This, and I think you demonstrate that, and you've done it. You've demonstrated it, and you continue to demonstrate it. That this discovery of who we are, there is no mountaintop. <laughs> right, <laughs> we don't get to mountaintop. I think in our lives and go, aha, I figured it all out. I think indeed it's the resistance, but it's the rebellion. Yeah. It's the knowing when to stand up and when to speak. It's the knowing mm-hmm. that your sounds will not protect you. It's not doing anything differently. It's it's taking the lessons and it's using them because we realize that we're on the journey that we're already on. Like Absolutely. that is the journey. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. <gasps> I'm so glad it's just you and I in this room because I, <laughs> it's, oh, you know, yeah, I'm just clenching fists and claiming it and holding it. Yeah, hold it. What 
to end because I'm, I'm conscious of your time. What do you hope for? I hope for a world of acceptance, love, unity. I, yeah, I hope for a, I hope for so much that just feels right. You know, I can speak about a bigger level of equality, freedom and justice. I hope for a, I hope for us to not have to struggle in terms of education, housing, welfare. I want racism, sexism, misogyny, all forms of discrimination to be eliminated, eradicated, wiped out. I hope for our intersectionality and our beings to be woven through everything we do. I hope not to be erased. Mm. I hope not to be silenced. I hope for my daughter, when I'm not here, to continue succeeding. I hope for the best for her. And I hope that our community and communities continue to grow and excel and learn from lessons of the past to make their now better and their future even greater. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It means the world to me, just your presence in my life. Um, and yeah, I will do anything for you. Not the tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) Lady Phil is the co-founder and executive director of UK Black Pride. And you can keep up to date with this warrior woman by following her on Twitter at Miss Lady Phil. That's at M-S Lady P-H-Y-L-L. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Retweets, shares, ratings, and reviews all help, so please keep the support coming. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City, for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. autumn as the nights draw in beat the cold with now tv curl up with the latest blockbusters including bohemian rhapsody and hotel mumbai plus with over 40 new movies added each month from aquaman to how to train your dragon 3 now tv's got you covered wherever you feel like watching get cozy with the latest and best movies for just 11.99 a month search now tv today 18 plus month passes auto renews unless cancelled terms apply